questions that you might have about brown corners. If you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope, hope you do with you, uh, if not, there's, a, there's a one in the, in the pew in front of you. Uh, join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As we continue this, this study, uh, walking through this book, we're now into the uh, latter part of the third chapter here. And, and uh, this week, uh, the title of our, our message, of our study, is Building Wisely. The Apostle Paul is going to uh, spend some time with us talking about uh, using a metaphor. Last week, he talked about uh, agriculture, and this week, uh, kind of at the end of verse 9, uh, we saw uh, that he was moving to a different mer- a word picture, a different metaphor, uh, and he's going to speak about building, about construction. And uh, so if you found your place there, I just want to read, uh, we're gonna, we are going to back up to verse 9 there, in, uh, where he introduces the, the metaphor, and then we'll read through the end of uh, verse 23. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. He says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. So he's ending that picture of, uh, the, from the agricultural world, and now he's going to move into the next. He says, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on, the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If someone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as only through fire. Uh, Do you not know that each of you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself if anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age. Let him become a fool that he might become wise. The wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile. So, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. For you are Christ's and Christ's is God's. I want to just clarify something here at the outset as we explore Paul's word picture of a building. Um, if, if there's any question as to what he's talking about or who he's talking about, what his building picture here refers to, um, I want to just clarify. He's talking about the Corinthians. The church there is God's building. He says that very clearly in, in verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. He says it again in verse um, 16. Do you not know that you, and that you there is plural. He's not speaking to individuals. He's speaking to the group as a whole. You, church, are God's temple. Um, and, if, uh, and, that, and that God's spirit dwells in you. Don't you know this, that you're God's temple? Uh, now, there is a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where the temple image refers, does refer to individuals. When he's talking about sexual immorality there in that, in that passage, he is speaking there more on an individual basis. But here, as we talk about this building that the, that the foundation is laid upon and is being built up, he's talking about the church, okay? He's talking about the gathered believers there in Corinth. 
Uh, you could say he's talking about the church universal, that is, all believers gathered. But I think in this context here, he's also drawing in that local church in Corinth. So this is a very uh, apt word for us. He's speaking to us as a local church. We are God's building here. And so I want to just kind of run with this metaphor a little bit, this word picture that Paul paints. Uh, I love the, one of the things the Scriptures does for us is it gives us concrete images on which to hang theological concepts and doctrines. And uh, Jesus was famous for this, right? He loved to tell stories, to communicate important biblical truths. And the Apostle Paul is great with creating images in word pictures. And so I want to talk a little bit this morning as we think about building wisely. I want to look at the foolish builder first, and then I want to look at the wise builder second. So first of all, the foolish builder. As we think about building wisely, we're going to look at uh, some of the, the characteristics of a, a foolish builder for a few moments. And uh, first off is that a foolish builder does not follow the blueprints. A foolish builder does not follow the blueprints. Paul says there in verse 10, um, he says at the end of verse 10, let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He tells us to be careful as to how we build on a foundation. There's no genuine foundation except for Jesus Christ. But if he's warning the believers there to take care as to how they build upon it, then there must be a scenario in which they, uh, they don't follow the blueprints. In fact, that, that's exactly what they were struggling with there in Corinth. They had veered in some ways from the doctrine that Paul had laid out, and particularly in how they got along with one another. They weren't doing so well in that. They weren't following the directions. Now, every guy has experienced this, right? We, we open that package that maybe it's a piece of furniture that's got, got to be assembled. Maybe it's your a kid's toy at Christmas time. And what do we do with the instructions? We throw them away because we know how, to, how it's put together. We know how to do this. Eventually, we're sorting through the trash. We're looking for wherever we threw those instructions. Uh, thankfully, we've got YouTube out there to help us in those situations. But uh, there, there's, those instructions are there for a reason. Um, it's not as big of a deal when it's maybe a small piece of furniture that you're putting together, but if you're talking about a construction site, a large building going in, so a builder's building your house, if you're having a house built that you, uh, maybe it's your dream house, uh, you would like to know that the builders are following the blueprints, wouldn't you? You don't want them, you know, in, in most of those situations, right, there's different builders that come in at different phases of construction. You have somebody doing the foundation, Someone putting up the walls, you got someone that's doing electrical, someone doing plumbing, someone doing the drywalling, someone else doing the roofing. You don't want each of these workers, these builders, kind of going off on their own. They, well, I think this would look much better. I'm sure that she would much rather have this color than that color. Like, I don't like these countertops they picked out. This is just ugly. I, I, I'd like to pick out my own. You don't want the builders each doing their own thing. You want to know that they're following the blueprints. And Paul says, take care how you build upon the foundation of the church. Don't do your own thing. A foolish builder does not follow the blueprints. We'll talk a little bit more about that here as we go on. Secondly, a foolish builder uses shoddy materials. Uses shoddy materials. Have you ever been building something and you decided to go on the cheap? Maybe you're trying to save a little money. Maybe you didn't have any money and you were trying to, trying to do it within budget. And so you picked some, maybe some of the, the uh, out of the discount board pile at, at the store. And so you got some crooked boards and you ended up regretting it further on because uh, your project did not work out. You used poor materials. I remember living in China one, 
uh, the, the year that we were there, and we heard about a controversy, kind of a scandal, that they found out one of the local concrete companies had been skimping on materials and were putting um, second-rate materials into their concrete, and it wasn't curing well, and they were having trouble with some of the buildings that they had built not being secure and, and well-built because uh, they were skimping and cutting, cutting, cutting corners on materials. He mentions here the materials uh, that go into building. He talks about, um, he kind of starts off with the good ones. Um, and, and he mentions in verse, I just lost my place, verse um, 12, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. And we'll see a minute in a minute why those first three are considered the good ones and the other ones are, are considered the shoddy materials, wood, hay, and straw. And, and, and there's a way of, just like there is when you're, when you're building a home, building a structure, there's a way of building the church that, that uses inferior materials. You're not constructing with the kinds of materials that last. D.A. Carson uh, list, listed several of those in, in one of his commentaries, uh, ways in which the church can be destroyed because you don't build properly on the foundation. He lists some of these things such as heresy, bringing false teaching into the church. That's not properly building on the foundation. Other shoddy materials such as factionalism. The Corinthians have been wrestling with that. I want to do this, and I want to follow this person, and I like things this way. Um, being distracted from the cross and giving attention to peripheral matters. Again, he's already been talking about that in significant ways. Uh, other shoddy building materials uh, would include um, gossip and bitterness, self-promotion, prayerlessness, sustained biblical illiteracy, building a church with superficial con conversions and exciting programs which rarely build people into a bring people into a deepening knowledge of God an entertainment model that loves to make people feel good about themselves but never brings them uh, to a place of worshiping the beauty of the holiness of God or, a, or a, a heart that is willing to take up its cross and follow Christ. All of these types of attitudes, all of these sorts of components are, are faulty building materials. The, the, a church built with these sorts of materials, so to speak, will not last. They need to be built with the materials we'll look at in a second. And then uh, thirdly, and finally, with, under the foolish builder, he forgets he doesn't own the building. <laughs> a foolish builder forgets that he doesn't own the building. Most of the time, when, uh, you're, when you see a construction site and you see guys that are out there uh, working on the foundation, putting up the walls, um, doing, the, doing the roofing. They aren't the guys that own the structure. They aren't the guys that uh, are the owners of that building. Someone has contracted them to do that. They're, they're being paid to do work for, for somebody else. That building, that house, that, that Walmart, whatever you have, uh, it, it belongs to another owner, the one, the one funding it. And the same is true of this building, the spiritual building that Paul is talking about. We've got to remember that the church is owned by God. He says, uh, he says in verse um, 16, Don't you know that you, plural, are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God temple, God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. 
we need to remember that not only is it true of us as individuals, but we're talking about the, the you plural here, the, the, the church family, the church gathered, we belong to God as we seek to build God's church, as we seek to build God's temple, we need to remember that it all belongs to Him, and it's for Him. Pastors need to be reminded of this constantly, but it's not just pastors. We all to remember that, that this, this here, it's not any one person. We're in this together. We're working together for the kingdom of God. Well, those are a few thoughts on a foolish builder, but I want to spend the rest of our time talking about a wise builder a wise builder. Paul's wisdom as, as a construction worker is seen in verse 10 because he recognized that it wasn't his strength that was enabling him to do this work. He says, according to the grace of God given to me. You see, when you read Paul's letters, you, you hear a man who never, never, ever got over the grace of God. The Apostle Paul never became meh about God's grace. He was always held in wonder, always captured by the beauty of God's grace. And he knew that anything that was accomplished in Corinth or any of these other cities was a result of God's grace. Yes, he does say, uh, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. That, that may sound like a hint of pride, like I'm the skilled guy here that did the work, but I, I think it's just a recognition of through God's grace, he had been given certain gifts which I think we can all agree were very unique to the early church. The Apostle Paul, there's, there's never been a another Apostle Paul, God had given him unique gifts to be able to start churches and plant churches and, and lay that foundation in each of these cities that he went to. A wise builder is going to understand that anything that God accomplishes through him is just that. It's the work of God done through a vessel that is given over to God's grace. And so just a few thoughts here on, on a wise builder. First of all, he builds on the right foundation. The only foundation, Paul says, Jesus Christ. And this was Paul's specialty, laying foundations. You know, God will give us each different giftings and different callings. And it's clear, Paul's calling, Paul never spent more than a couple years in any one location. His calling was to plan a church, equip leaders, and then move on. That's what, that was his pattern of ministry. That was his unique calling. Uh, God, God gives many pastors that calling, but many others are called to stay long-term and do the, do the hard work of continuing to build and teach and make disciples. Uh, any of those ministries are crucial. They're just different. And Paul was, a, Paul was a foundation layer. In every city he went to, this was his heartbeat. You know, in the building world, you have choices when it comes to laying foundations. Uh, you could use a poured concrete or lay concrete blocks. You could build a house upon a, a basement or simply footings. Uh, there are all kinds of foundations, pile foundations. My house is built on a wooden foundation. Um, when it comes to building God's church, though, there aren't options like that. We can't pick and choose and go out our own, sort of go deviate from the blueprints, as it were. God calls us to build on Jesus Christ. That's why so much of this the introduction in the first couple of chapters of this letter, keep, keep, he keeps bringing the Corinthians back to the cross, back to Jesus. Why? Because they were getting off the foundation that they needed to be on. I remember when uh, I poured concrete, there were times when we would get to the job site, and, and, our, and it only happened a couple of times, but our, our foreman would be looking at the blueprints, and, 
And I could tell, like, if, if he told us to wait, um, and, and I could see a couple of them pouring over the blueprints, usually something was wrong. And uh, I remember on one occasion, um, we discovered that they had, they had poured the footings. Um, they were several feet off of where they needed to be. They were in a completely different spot. Like, if we had built upon that, the house would be in an entirely different location than what it was supposed to be. And we had to call the guys back in, and they had to pour new footings and relay the foundation, as it were, because it was off base. As God's people, as God's church, as we seek to, to work with Him to build the church, um, we need to remember that uh, we have to continually come back to Jesus Christ, continually come back to the cross, to make sure that there is, there is nothing else we're, we're building on, not not great experiences, not on the, the whims and wishes of various groups of people, uh, um, on, on a big exciting program or whatever. It always has to come back to Jesus. Are we building on the foundation of Christ? We sang that song, Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. May that be true of us, not only as individuals, that Jesus would be the cornerstone of our own lives, but of our church as well. Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, wrote this many, many, many years ago. The foundation is already in place, and no one can change it. Let us, therefore, build on it and cling to it in the way that branches cling to the vine, so that there be no gap between us and Christ. For the minute a gap opens up between the vine and its branches, the branches wither and perish. Similarly, if a building is not cemented to its foundation, it will collapse. Therefore, let us not merely cling to Christ, but let us be cemented to him, for if we stand apart, we shall perish. That is a good word for the church. We must be cemented to Jesus Christ in all that we say and do. The next component of a, of a um, wise builder is that he uses the right materials. We saw that the foolish builder uses shoddy materials. Well, the wise builder is going to use the right materials, quality materials that will stand out, that will stand the test of time, that will endure hardships, that will endure the storms of life. Paul mentions here in this passage in verse 12, he talks about gold and silver and precious stones. Why are they held out as better materials and not some of these others? I mean, he mentions wood in, in, in kind of a pejorative way. We use wood in a great bit of our construction. Well, Paul's not chasing his metaphor that far here. We recognize that wood can be a great material with which to build. The reason he picks these is that they, they withstand the fire. If you, were, if you noted when we were reading through this, he said the work, the building is going to be tested by fire. And the ones that were constructed with, with these types of precious materials, gold and silver and precious gems, they're going to they're gonna weather the fire. And so what the picture he, he's creating here is, is that as God tests the work of his people to see whether it's genuine, to see whether we've used the right materials, to see whether it's built on Jesus or on us, the ones that, that will stand out will be built with the sorts of materials that stand a fire. And so I think there's also a connection here with the construction of the temple. The temple in the Old Testament was built with many of these precious metals, the 
temple was God's dwelling place, the Shekinah glory of God, and the Holy of Holies, that's where you met with God. And I think he's, under, he's further emphasizing the importance of the church, God's people, is where God dwells. I don't know about you, but uh, I want to know what it looks like to build with good materials versus shoddy materials. It's easy to pick out some of those poor things. If, if, if a pastor is building a ministry around his personality, that's, those are poor building materials. If, if we're constantly testing the winds of culture and finding out what makes people happy and what, uh, what people are comfortable with, and that's how we build God's church, well, then that, we're going to have trouble there. That's, that's shoddy craftsmanship. But what are the good materials? What are the, the gold, the silver, the precious stones? I think it's pretty, I think it's, it's the simple stuff. It's, it's God's Word, building upon God's Word, coming back to the Scriptures, teaching the Scriptures. It's making disciples. It's spending time pouring into the hearts and lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's being devoted to prayer and praying with one another and praying for one another, praying for God's kingdom as it advances here in, our, in, the, in the world. Uh, it, it's, it's coming back to the simple things. Look at the early church. Read through the book of Acts. What did they do when they gathered? It wasn't, it, it wasn't fancy. It, it wasn't light show and all kinds of great programming. It was simple. They got together and they read the scriptures. Somebody or several people uh, explained the scriptures. They prayed with one another. They shared the Lord's table with one another. And they had fellowship and they helped each other out. It was really a pretty simple formula. Those are the kinds of building materials that a wise builder is going to use. That's interesting. I don't know if you have, have noticed this as we've read this passage, but if you remember last week, verse 7 said, um, it's neither he nor, returning to that, that uh, agricultural metaphor, he says, it's neither he nor who plants nor he who waters is anything, but it's only God who gives the growth. Yet in this passage here, we're hearing a lot of responsibility upon the builder. So which is it, Paul? Is it God who gives the growth? Is it God who builds the church? Or is it the builder, your servants who build the church? And the answer is yes. Ultimately, the end result is up to God. We've said that many, many times. It's not up to you or I to, to get and, and, and force somebody into the kingdom of God. Like, ultimately, God is the one who saves. God is the one. Uh, Jesus told Peter, um, you're the rock, and on, uh, on you, I'll, this is where I'll build my church. I will build my church. So God is doing it, yet he has invited us as his servants, as his, his co-laborers, to be involved in the building process. And when we're willing to just get down to the, just the simple, basic Stuff that the early church didn't axe. We get so distracted in, in the 21st century. We want to compete with the world. We, we want to bring in all these other elements to, to grow the church. And, and if we, I think if we just return back to what, like the simplicity of what was done early on, maybe in a, in a, in a, do it in a culturally appropriate way, but come, come back to the basics. Prayer, the word of God, fellowship, discipleship. Fellowship and, and the Lord's table, breaking of bread to, with one another, and sharing our faith, uh, I think we'll be on the right track as far as using the right materials. And then finally, um, oh, uh, just be, um, 
two more. Uh, the, um, the wise builder welcomes the inspector. There's a lot I'd like to say here, but I remember um, being on some construction sites and hearing our, our foreman at times, uh, you know, like, hey, the, uh, the inspector won't be around until this afternoon, so we've got to get this and this and this done and make sure this is covered up so he's not going to see this. Some of that sort of spirit where, like, the inspector's the bad guy. Now, if you've been involved in the construction world, I'm not going to get into that debate whether, whether or not they actually are, but sometimes as a, as a builder, sometimes you might feel like they're too nitpicky and you're not excited when they show up on the job site. And, and the reality is, when it comes to, uh, spiritually speaking, the inspector, Jesus Christ, uh, we want him on the job site. And what I mean by the inspector is, he says, the work will be tested. Um, each, uh, verse 13, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. And if the work anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if his work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I think what Paul's getting at there is that as God tests our work, um, we'll see how it pans out. And, and some of that testing may take place here on earth during, during, this, uh, during this age. But I think Paul is also alluding to a place like uh, in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, so whether at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. That, that's what uh, a place that theologians call the Bema seat, the Bema judgment. It's for believers. It's not to determine whether you're saved or not, but it's looking at a believer's works and what they've done here on earth. And, and he says here, in, in verse 15, listen, you will suffer loss if you didn't build the right way, but you'll still be saved. This is not a, a, a judgment for salvation. This is a judgment for Christians to see whether the works that they've done here on earth stand the test of time. And you see, when, when Jesus as the inspector, he comes forward, see... When an inspector comes on the job site, like his goal there is to be helpful. Like he, I mean, he wants to make sure that it's done right. You would want to know, if you're doing electrical work, you would want to know uh, before you put the drywall on if that's done wrong, if there's a problem with it. And so the inspector's job is to say, hey, before you get any further, before you dig yourself deeper into this hole, I, I want to show you the steps you need to take here to correct the problem. When Jesus comes into our lives and he says, listen, you're building the wrong way. You're using some of the wrong materials. Your emphasis is not where I want it to be. It's all in His grace. He's not there just to point out the problems and leave us feeling bad about ourselves. His goal is always gracious restoration, graciously getting us back on track, graciously helping us make sure that we're building on the right foundation. And so as we think about building, we need to make sure that we're allowing that, so to speak, the inspector into our lives to say, God, am I building the right way? Am I pouring into people the right way? Am I spending time and money on the right sorts of things? Am I using the right sorts of um, avenues and methods to reach people? Or am I manipulating people or relying on, on uh, smokes and mirrors and, and, and uh, bells and whistles to draw people into the kingdom of God? And God's Spirit, I believe, will graciously help you get on the right track if indeed he, you find out that, that you're not on the right track. You're not building the right way. And then finally, a wise builder recognizes the sacredness of the building. There's so much we could say here, but for 
uh, for sake of time, we won't. He says, if, uh, if, um, don't you know that you're God's temple, verse 16, and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Wow. Wow. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. You know, I, I've, I've seen a lot of books over the years. Um, I've read a lot of blog posts that are just so negative and critical of, of the church. And I realize that churches can, can and have done a lot of dumb and heretical things throughout the year. Pastors have done a lot of hurtful and dumb things in many, many sorts of scenarios and in many places, sinful things. But overall, the, the church is God's baby. And we need to be careful about how, how, we, how vocal we are. God, God uses metaphors uh, of the church, things like, this is my bride. He calls him his bride. The, the church is that important to God. The church is sacred here. The church, rec- the church is called holy here by God. I wonder this morning, do each of us see the church with the same love and priority that God does? Do we have that same passion for God's people? That, that Almighty God does? The answer is no, it never will. God's love is infinite and ours is finite. But we should be on that track, looking for ways to build up the body of Christ, not tear it down. Looking for ways to, to build the kingdom of God and not tear it down and to build it well. The outcome, according to verse 14, is that those who build well will receive a reward. How about you this morning? Have you given thought to how you're building. Maybe you're not even involved in the construction process. You haven't used your gifts. You're not connected in ways that God wants you to get connected. But, but, but maybe uh, we've found just losing our way. We've used shoddy materials or, or we've, we've been distracted and, and found a different foundation. May, God, may God's Spirit, through His Word, bring us back to the basics, bring us back to the right construction materials so that we're seeking to build his church with the things that matter, with the things that last and that endure the test of time. As we prepare to celebrate the Lord's table together, I thought about this verse from an old hymn I think connects well with what our passage is talking about and with the communion table. It goes like this, The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. As we think about the grace of God and the love of Jesus that was shed abroad on Calvary, he has shed his blood and gave his body for his bride, for the church, bought her redeemed her. And that's what we celebrate here at the communion table today. We celebrate the finished work of Jesus Christ. The body is represented by the bread, the blood, by the juice here this morning. And as we look to the one who is the foundation of the church, we also see the one who suffered and died on our behalf, who gave his life that we might live. And if you're a, a, a a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to celebrate communion with us today. You don't have to be a member at Brown Corners Church. Uh, the only requirements I see based here, at least on this passage, are first of all that, that 
you know Jesus as your Savior. And then secondly, in 1 Corinthians 11, we, we read about um, the believers there. And we're going to study this here coming up uh, early, in, uh, early next year. But the, the Corinthians there were abusing the Lord's table by, by sinning in several different ways. And what he said was, when you come to the Lord's table with this unrepentant, unconfessed sin, he said, you eat and drink condemnation to yourself. We won't go into what that entails, but I just want you to know that's not good at all. And so this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to the Lord's table with us. But uh, we also want to issue the same caution that the Apostle Paul does. If there's, if there's unconfessed sin in your heart that God is, is bringing to mind, uh, and that's something that can be dealt with before you come to the table, then, then deal with that before the Lord and confess that and bring it to Him. If it's not something that you can deal with right now, if the, the bitterness goes too deep or if that person is not here that you need to talk to, then, then just stay where you are and, and, and don't take that disobedient step of partaking with unconfessed sin in your heart. We, we, uh, the, the, the Lord's table is, is a place of celebration as well as solemnness. The celebration is that we, we rejoice that our Savior has died and the work is finished upon the cross. He rose again from the grave and there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that has made that available. But it's also a, a somber time as we remember the, the agony that our Savior went through to bring this salvation to us as well as the seriousness of sin that keeps us from the Lord's table this morning as we celebrate and remember and reflect, I want to encourage you to just take some time to pray here. Uh, what we're going to do is, and again, if you've never had communion here, um, I'm going to give you just some time to, right where you are to talk to God and, 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 and just reflect on what the Savior has done for you and, and, and confess any sin that God's Spirit is revealing to you. But uh, our worship team will come on up, and as they begin to play, just come up where you, uh, right from where you are. Come on up front. We've got... Um, individual communion cups as well as uh, the cracker is in individual cups so we didn't have everybody's hands in the in the bowl and then uh, you also notice some plates up here if the lord leads these uh, offering plates are our benevolence fund they go towards helping people in our church family who might be experiencing some kind of a financial need at, at this time and so if god's spirit leads you to give in that way uh, that's what those are for and uh, we just want to um Take some time now this morning and celebrate the Lord's table together. So I just want to invite you to, to bow for a little time of silent prayer here as we prepare to take the elements together. Father, you've given us this picture in your word. We've already sang about it today. We've studied it here briefly this morning. That Jesus Christ is the foundation upon which the church is built. But this, this picture extends far and wide. God, may our lives be built upon Jesus Christ. God, we want to see... Brown Corners Church to remain on this foundation that I believe 
was laid so many years ago that we wouldn't depart from the foundation but would be anchored. And God, if there are times when we're tempted to use poor building materials, using manipulation or using uh, uh, any kind of, I don't know, any, any stuff that takes the message and the focus off of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen again. Lord, would your Spirit show us and may we get back on track. God, may we all recognize that we're, we're all involved in the building program. We're all involved in building some way. As we talk later in this book about the gifts uh, of God's Spirit, Lord, would you show us uh, how our unique gifting and our, our unique personalities fit in to this building process. And Father, we recognize that this foundation was laid with the blood of Jesus Christ. What he's done for us on the cross. Father, today we just say thank you. Thank you for what Jesus has done. Thank you that he gave his body broken for us. Thank you for his blood that was shed. And this morning we, we just come and we want to worship. Lord, take and lift up our eyes to the one who was our substitute, was crucified, died on our behalf. rose again, defeating the grave. These moments, God, would you just remove any distractions, anything that's pulling for our attention. Lift our eyes to Jesus. The cornerstone. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please come.
testifies of grace, tells of the Father's heart to make a way for us. But boldly we approach with earthly confidence. Jesus is your
you're so great, greatly to be praised. Thankful, so thankful for today, Lord. We can look at your what you did for us on your cross, Lord. hearts, we thank you, Lord. Bless you, Father. Father, have your spirit continue to speak to us, Lord, this week as we go out. Help us to be your hands and your feet, Father. Amen, church. Amen. Bless you. Lord, bless you and keep you. Great is our